we're moving along, everyone. Mario back with you, continuing our series on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you're joining us for the first time, I suggest you pause this episode and start with episode one. We'll be right here when you get back. Previous episodes can be found on your favorite podcast app or you can visit mariosministries.com. Please subscribe to the series and let others know about it. Your support makes it possible for us to produce more series like this one in the future, so please do that. Today we dive into part three of our look at the God of Abraham. We finished Genesis chapter 15 last time with God's sealing of the covenant he was making with Abraham with fire consuming the animals that Abraham had set up. We've had, therefore, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. There's a term we hadn't used before, but that you should know. That is the theological term given to that covenant we've been discussing between God and Abraham. What we have not seen is the fulfillment, if you will, of this impossible promise that God has given him. That covenant, of course, it is still unfolding in a miraculous way in our day. But today we'll witness the beginning of God's plan for Abraham. Remember, his descendants are supposed to be innumerable. God will make him a great nation. And yet Abraham is in his 80s and his wife is sterile. It's almost comical. But what we are learning is that the God of Abraham is a God of the impossible. Sometimes when we don't see God move as we think he should or would move, we start second-guessing him and his word. Remember the serpent in the garden? What was his approach? Did God really say, you shall not eat? That was his approach to question God's word. We see this happen in our lives too. Here, since God had made a promise to Abram, but he and his wife had gone years without conceiving a child, they unfortunately take matters into their own hands. Sarai had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarai says, well, maybe the way for us to have a child is through her. And she tells Abraham to take Hagar as wife so they can bear children that way. Abraham amazingly and foolishly agrees to this. This, of course, was definitely not what God had promised. And God will make it clear to Abraham later on. But here, in their disobedience and unbelief, we have a great picture again to learn about the God of Abraham. How will he handle their lack of trust? Because guess what? We know exactly how Abraham and Sarai felt. We are them, aren't we? We doubt the promises of God time and time again. So let's pay close attention to what the God of Abraham does here. And we will learn about his character, about the type of God he is. Hagar indeed gets pregnant, but she becomes bitter towards her mistress, Sarai. Scripture says that she looked at her with contempt. This is another aspect of the tale too. Hagar, how will God deal with her? She too is a woman bearing the image of the living God. Is it all about Abraham and Hagar will be discarded as a casualty of war, so to speak? Hagar understandably resents Sarai. But it is interesting that she only resents Sarai. 
Why not Abram too? Keep that in mind as we continue this story because it reveals, I believe, something about her heart. Sarai, for her part, blames Abram now for her broken relationship with Hagar. May the wrong done to me be on you, she tells him in verse 5 of chapter 16. Broken relationships are usually the result of our disobedience. Abram then tells her to do whatever she wants with Hagar, which every husband in the world can identify with. That do whatever you want is still a favorite of ours, to our shame. But the result, as we also know, is more brokenness. Sarai deals harshly with Hagar. How will the God of Abraham respond? Well, it's encouraging to me that his first concern is for Hagar. We learn in verse 7 that the angel of the Lord found Hagar by the spring of water in the wilderness. Hagar, servant of Sarai, he said, Where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar responded, I am fleeing from my sister Sarai. And the angel first says to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. Which seems a bit hard to a woman in Hagar's condition, except that I think we can associate that with God's work on Hagar's heart. As we had mentioned earlier, she has some things to work out herself. God will deal with Abraham and Sarai also. But the angel is not done with Hagar. He also says to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. That's verse 10. He goes on, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So God is telling Hagar to go back to a difficult situation, but he's telling her also, I will be with you. I have listened to your affliction. Verse 11. And she knows her future is secure. She is going to bear much fruit from her womb. Her offspring, too, will be multiplied so that they cannot be numbered. Hagar recognizes the blessing of the Lord and calls him, in verse 13, El Roy, the God who sees me. And isn't that just a precious insight for us into the God of Abraham? He's the God who sees you. He does. He knows what you're going through. He sees you by the spring in your wilderness. Perhaps you've been running away from something too. And God is El Roy, the God who sees you. The God who goes after you. Hagar explained why she worshipped him in this way. She said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. God is looking after you too. Hagar then goes back full of this hope and bears a son with Abraham. And as God told her, he was named Ishmael. Abraham was 86 at that time. Now, were Sarai and Abraham right? Did they sort of help God out so that he could deliver on his promise to them to have many descendants? Is Ishmael the son of the promise? 
Well, Abraham went another 13 years without seeing any other way. But then it was time. Abraham was to become Abraham. When he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham again and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. This is a bit different than before. The God of Abraham is now interested in the way Abraham is walking. Could that have something to do with the way he had acted towards Hagar? The response of Abraham is telling. He fell on his face. Then God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Those are verses 4 to 8 of Genesis chapter 17. And there you have it. This is how Abraham becomes Abraham. He is going to be the father of multitudes and kings will come from him. And we know ultimately the king will come from his descendants. Note again that the God of Abraham, our God, does not forget. Remember, he spoke to Abraham more than 25 years before this moment. And he's still working out his promises to Abraham. God does not forget, friend. He does not give up. He's not startled. His plan is unfolding as planned, regardless of mistakes or oppositions to it. Take that to heart in your own life. Nature itself cannot stand against this God. Abraham is 99 years old now, and he will be a father to many not through his own dealings with Hagar, but through the miraculous, sovereign work of Almighty God. God then asks Abraham to keep the covenant with a sign. Every male among you shall be circumcised, he said. It shall be a sign of the covenant, an everlasting covenant between Abraham and God. He then turns to speak to Abraham about his wife. You shall not call her Sarai, he tells him, but Sarah shall be her name. And God gives a bit of an explanation for that change too. He says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then, I love this, the Bible is so real. It says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? This is the way we would all speak. But you know what? We should know better. 
we have the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now. We're not like Abraham. We have the scriptures. We know God can do the impossible. Abraham does not have that advantage, and so he's still thinking about Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, he says in verse 18. But God corrects him. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And now we're introduced for the first time to the son of the promise, the God of Abraham and Isaac. Now God does not forget Ishmael. In fact, he tells Abraham he has heard him, which is cool to know that Abraham was praying for his son, but also this fact help us to remember the God of Abraham is a God who hears our prayers. And God tells him, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So now for the first time, after all these years, God reveals him a time element by this time next year. The God of Abraham is a covenant-keeping God. He's able to bring about what he has promised us, now Abraham is realizing how foolish he was to think he would somehow help God to accomplish his promise. God needs nothing from us. He is the giver. We receive from him. Now that he deserves our honor and praise and worship, there's no doubt. But we can rest in his word, secure. God has all things at his disposal. We need simply to trust in his ways. That very day, Abraham did as God had commanded, and he, Ishmael, and all the males in his household were circumcised in obedience to God as a sign of the covenant he had made with Abraham. May we be as quick to obey the Lord's commands. Until next time. I will put my trust in God who alone knows my makeup. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.